Well, welcome to the first ResPres Sunday School. It's exciting to be, have everyone here and uh, be able to be a part of this. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've made and for bringing us through another week by your hand and your kindness to us. We pray, Lord, that you would use this time to encourage us as we learn more about you and what your story and how we fit in to the great, wonderful thing that you're doing in Christ, in your church. And it's in your Son's name we ask. Amen. So we're starting off this Sunday school year with the theme of finding ourselves in God's story. And this quarter we'll be focusing in on the drama of redemption. Um, and before we kind of just like jump right into the Bible and the text, I thought we'd take a good time just like this week to discuss why it's so important to think about the understanding of God's story and how we fit into it. Um, why are stories something that are things that are so compelling to us today? Uh, if you just turn on the television, it's really easy to get sucked in some new Netflix show or some movie. I mean, who hasn't wanted to like binge watch something like Stranger Things or, you know, for those Star Trek junkies like Star Trek Next Generation or something like that? Um, we all love to binge watch those kind of shows and find ourselves immersed in these stories um, because the love of stories is something that's very human. Um, we enjoy a good story because we see meaning and value through the lens of stories. When people introduce themselves to each other, what do they do? It's like, oh, I'm so-and-so from this town, and I'm doing this. And they tell a little bit about themselves through a story. Uh, I remember just like reading recently how, for those who are my generation or below, how, how much Harry Potter is like such an impressive story that's captured a whole generation's imagination. And even in the recent election, people were seeing things through the lens of that story. And they were like saying this person was Voldemort and this person was that. Whether it was good or not, they were doing that. Um, yet, not all stories are created equal. Uh, some stories, they really empower people, empower oppressors, and continue kind of lies that harm others. Other stories are really freeing and liberating. You know, like something like Harry Potter, but that's not really true. And very rarely do we find a story that is both true and good and really beautiful. Something that changes how we now look at reality. When we do stumble across such a story on Netflix or on the news, um, it's something that seems like it's unbelievable. It's something that really just catches us off guard and it's easy to become cynical. Uh, I just really recently watched the World War II film Hacksaw Ridge, which follows this character who was a, someone who was a Seventh-day Adventist and he didn't believe in violence. And everyone just kind of ganged up on him and beat him up in the movie. And then finally he, he gets to the point where he can serve in the military by, as a medic. And what he ends up doing is like really miraculous. And people were just stunned by how many people's lives he saved. And that's a real story that happened that changed hundreds of people's lives. 
You know, and, and it's all these kind of stories that we really long for because we all long for justice and we all long for mercy. We all long for that true fairy tale ending of happily ever after. Because all those things, in some sense, give us you know, meaning and purpose in our jobs and our callings. Um, when we see our lives as having this great purpose, we see how the little things that we do can affect others. How our callings, maybe as parents, maybe as teachers, whatever it is, whatever job we have, we like to go to home at the end of the day and realize that what we did changed someone's life. It served some higher purpose or goal. And most people are, in, in truth, kind of just going through life, waiting to be told a different story. And so the question is, where do we go for such a story? Um, if all stories are not equally true or good or beautiful, what is our standard? What do we look for? And one of the things that our day, we have just as many myths and stories as any other generation. Um, I think the one that really impacts us in America is this kind of myth or story of individualism, um, where we think that true meaning and purpose can be found in following our hearts, where the significance that we have is if we follow our dreams, and that if we're true to ourselves deep down, that is what's going to give us meaning and purpose. Uh, there's this one really famous poem called Invictus, where it kind of really captures the spirit of our age. And the, the writer says, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I think that really just captures what we think in our heart of hearts. Um, but the, the sad thing about that kind of American individualism is that that's exactly what everyone believes. You know, like it's not very individualistic, but it's something that our culture and our world constantly tell us. Um, you know, in, in previous generations, in previous eras, everyone was a part of a story. They were part of this big drama, and they were part of this march of history. And something, we were all marching towards this goal, and everyone had a part in it. And we were a part of this. Uh, we were all discipled in whatever it was, whether it was you know, like the American dream or some common kind of vision of, the, of, of a good life that gave us purpose and meaning. But now I kind of feel like we are in this, we would say a nihilistic kind of phase where we're, we came from nothing and we're going nowhere and we're just kind of like somewhere in the middle trying to make purpose in the midst of all that. And, but at the end of this day, like that just kind of leaves us really empty and kind of hollow inside. And I don't say that to make everyone feel you know, sad or guilty about life, but that's just very much the product of the story 
that our age tells us that the sad irony is, is that when we do follow our hearts, when we do follow our dreams and think that, you know, that meaning comes from creating our own story and identity, that's actually when we cut ourselves off from everything and we feel hollow at the end. That's when we cut ourselves off from what truly gives us meaning and purpose. Because um, if most people were really honest with themselves, we're kind of just going on living lives of quiet desperation. But I think that that's you know, really where God's Word is so relevant to us. And it comes to us as we find ourselves in God's story. When we actually submit ourselves to the script that He's writing and learn and understand the drama, the drama where He's placed us in, and then we start seeing this new big picture of reality. This, this picture of a God who's on this radical rescue mission who's coming to the depths of this world and saving us. And then on top of that, he's giving us a part in it. He just doesn't leave us bystanders and spectators, but he actually puts us into his story and he, and he puts us a part of this great battle, this cosmic battle that's going on against sin and death. And he's giving us this new role of discipleship in this world. So the question we want to say is not that does everyone, does, do people believe or follow a myth or not, or a story, the question is, which one is it? Which story is giving you meaning and purpose and identity? And which story is discipling you? Because everyone is a disciple of something. Um, and so that's kind of like the outline of what we're going to be talking about to this, the next year. We're going to call it the four Ds, which I'm shamelessly stealing from one of my teachers. Um, you have the, the drama of redemption. And then you have the doctrine. You have the doxology. And then you have discipleship. And so in this first quarter, we're going to be going over the drama of redemption. And that will be going over just like the big story of the Bible. And in the next quarter, we'll be going through and talking about how the doctrine kind of comes out of that. And by talking about the Apostles' Creed and how all of those things being caught up in the drama, being given a new script, we're given the actual path of doxology or praise or how we pray and worship God by going through the Lord's Prayer. And with all those kind of things in movement, we then learn how we are to respond in our lives of discipleship, how we are to respond in this world. And we'll be looking at the Ten Commandments as well as a class on mission and vocation in the summer. So that's just kind of like the brief outline of what we'll be doing in the next uh, several months. So in the midst of all the, the different dramas that are competing in this present evil age that we live in, these stories that are constantly vying for our attention. What's really encouraging is that God has not left us alone. He just doesn't just like, okay, you're saved, now figure it out. No, He gives us His Word and His Spirit to give us the truth by which we're enmeshed in this new story. He gives us His Scripture, His, his very Word, and the, the, by looking at it in this way, we see how we get enmeshed into that story itself. 
how we're being brought into God's unfolding story of grace. And the thing that we actually will find as we kind of go through this is that this is a story that we could not have made up. This isn't something you can find on Wall Street. This isn't something that you can find in the White House or on BuzzFeed. Because all of those things are telling us to kind of look within. All those things are constantly saying, no, you just got to follow your heart and your dreams and curving us within ourselves. Um, and that's really why God's Word sets up the church as a community. He sets up all these different things, these different props. We need a proclamation of something that's coming from outside of us to kind of lift, up, lift, up, lift up our own eyes out of those stories and that we can actually see all around us the wonder of God's grace and His forgiveness that, are, that just surround us. We're so busy looking within and God just got to keep wanting to say, look outside of yourself, look around, and you can see the grace of what God is doing in His church and in us. And we need to hear that constantly. Um, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to constantly hear God's law and hear of how we've fallen short of that in our own hearts but then also how the gospel constantly is that reminder that God is freely giving us Himself again and He's bringing us back into this story so that we can make much of Him again. So that we can have that meaning and that purpose that we so desperately desire. Um, and this is why God has given us His Word mainly as a drama. It's kind of cool to think about, but the church is kind of like this cosmic drama team um, where we're all rehearsing for heaven. We're all actually tasting of the powers of heaven every single Sunday, and God is just constantly peeling back all the fog those stories tell us, all the fog of our present evil age, to show us what is really real, to show us what His grace has done for us. And so the, so the Lord has given us all these props. He's given every, everything that we actually need. He's given us the script in His Word, and He just is ready for us to come pick it up. And when we take the Lord's Supper in the church service, when we hear the preaching, the Gospel, when we're all singing, God is fashioning and shaping us in His discipleship. He's making us disciples of Christ so that we can now go out and live in our vocations and callings with that meaning and purpose. And I think the problem is that because we don't often live in that world where that script makes sense, the Bible itself can seem uh, really foreign and even alien to us. You know, it might as well have been written in an alien world or culture. Uh, I think one reason, one reason that, that feels like that when we just open up the Bible and there's just so many things that you can't make sense of, one reason is because it was just so long ago. One reason is because these things happened in a totally different world. Um, but another reason is because the stories around us constantly feed us this temptation you know, that God is not actually good. Um, that, that the things that we read in the Bible are too good to be true. And we live in this world that's just like so turned upside down and polluted and so messed up. It's a world that's filled with violence and racism and murder and hatred and strife and 
hurricanes, um, all those things going way back to our first father, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. If God did exist, if He was a good God, why would He allow this to happen? Why, what has He done about it? What, what has He done to speak about those things? And so it's very easy for even us as Christians to look for another story to ground our lives, to make sense of this reality. And we're constantly tempted to think that, that violence and pain and evil and suffering are all there is to life. Um, those competing stories are constantly vying for our allegiance, discipling us and mentoring us in what our hearts want to believe is true. They give us, the world gives us its own doctrines. Everyone has a doctrine, whether it's individualism or something else. They give us our own means of praise and worship. Um, if you just want to think about for a moment, when you look, turn on the television, you watch a commercial. You know, like what, what they're actually doing when you watch that. If you're watching a car commercial, for instance, I just bought a new car because mine was totaled, so I was like looking for cars and... Um, they're not selling you the car. They're not saying, oh, here are all the specs for this car. For most people, some people will really love that stuff. But they're selling you a vision of the good life. They're saying, oh, look at these beautiful couple. Like They're driving through this amazing town into the sunset, and they're selling you what, you think, what they think will give you purpose and meaning and happiness. They're not selling you just that car. They're selling you a story. And so all those things are constantly surrounding us. And if we go and go get that car, you know, add that to our life, that prop, that's going to be the thing that really satisfies us. And I think that's like why we need the church so much. This is why we need the Word of God that's preached to us in the sacraments to help us understand our place in God's story. Because what is actually happening is that God is using those really simple sometimes seemingly foolish things to change us from one degree of glory to the next. And that the reason that we can constantly entrust ourselves to God um, is because He's constantly showing us how far He went to bring us back into His love. That he, the reason we can trust ourselves to Him is because He's constantly giving Himself for us. We hear that and then we go and taste and see that every week. And that's such a huge privilege. Um, this is the story of happy endings, the real fairy tale, the happily ever after that we've been waiting for. And so as we kind of go through God's Word in Sunday school, but also mainly in worship, you know, God is just peeling back the gray curtain of this world. He's peeling back the fog of, this, of the week. And He's saying, no, this is what is real. This is what is really true about the world. So a lot of times we, we can approach the Bible and we can look at the Bible, maybe if we're new to it, we have all those competing visions and all those competing stories going on in our head that want to make the whole thing about us, first and foremost. And we look at the history, we look at all these genealogies, that so-and-so begat so-and-so, and these Proverbs... All these things that don't really seem to make sense. And it's really hard for us to unlock how it all fits together. You know, we dip into it and we might look at, look at it and say, okay, what can I find 
how do I dare to be a Daniel? Like, what is the morality lesson that I can find in this to be a better person? Um, what is the person's life I can emulate? Or we look at the strange stories and we think, oh, this is like Aesop's fables or like a, you know, uh, a nursery rhyme where it's just teaching me not to you know, listen to the lion because the lion is hungry and it's going to eat me at the end of the story. That's, that's the whole thing. So we can kind of come to it with all those kind of confused categories. Um, but when we do that, we actually lose the very humanness of the Bible and the very thing that shows how true it is and how God is actually working in the midst of all of these amazingly broken, sinful human beings and he's still bringing about his salvation and that the whole thing from beginning to end is pointing to Christ. And so that's kind of like the big picture that we want to get at in the next several weeks that at the heart of the story of the Old and New Testament, God is saying reconciliation and forgiveness and peace and this mercy and grace are what I want to bring you into. And that's actually the most real thing in this world. And if we understand that kind of unfolding drama, the unfolding drama of God as, as a creator in, and who is bringing all of history to the work of Christ, then we can actually see how all the, the puzzle pieces kind of fit together and how the Bible is a lot easier to understand than we kind of previously thought. So this is the kind of big picture that we want to consider as we start reading the Scriptures as we're going through it. Um, and so I think our hope for this, this series as we begin Sunday School is that, that, you know, that maybe as you survey your own life, it, kind of be, it can be hard to see God at work in the midst of all the havoc, in the midst of all the sinfulness and misery that maybe you see on the news or that even fills your own home. Um, it can be hard to see God working in those situations. But you know, our prayer is really that as we see God at work in His story, in His Scriptures, that we begin to see Him at work in our own lives. We begin to see how He's using all the props in His drama and He's giving us this script so that we can find the mercy and the comfort that He has for us. And we can start seeing God at work even in the midst of all those hardships. Um, that this isn't just a story amongst among other stories that's just going to help us as a crutch to get it through life, but it's actually changing reality. It's actually ushering us into this new world that will one day be free of sin and death. And He's bringing us into that. So when we see the big picture, you see how it applies to us. We see how we are a part of that. Um, so for the rest of the time today, we're just going to jump right in. If you have your Bibles with you, or on your phone, or anything, or you can share with a neighbor, we want to turn to the beginning of the Bible, the very first book, Genesis, in chapter 1. So as we open up uh, this really momentous chapter of the Bible, we read these amazing words that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, this is a really a summary statement uh, of all that he has done, but it really culminates at the end when he creates man and woman. 
uh, with Genesis 127 saying that, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the big thing that we see at this very beginning of the Bible that God is saying is that you are not an accident. That mankind was created with purpose and meaning and dignity. The whole world was created very specifically. And God didn't just let, you know, create us by mistake or because He was like super needy or providence just didn't fashion us and we just didn't evolve blindly by accident or chance. You know, God intentionally creates everything that exists, including you and me. And He does it so for a purpose. Um, I mean, we were already talking about it a little earlier, but you'd think that by the 21st century, you know, mankind would figure out what that purpose is. But people are still going around the world trying to figure that truth out and search, searching for meaning. And unfortunately, most people, they don't go back to the beginning with God. As we said so before, it's in the present with ourselves. Um, but what this ancient account of creation tells us is something really important about who God is and then who we are. And so this is what we're going to be exploring a little bit for the rest of our time today and then next week. We're going to look at what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, So first we'll look at the creation account and what it tells us about God. And then we'll consider who we are in light of Genesis 1. And we'll conclude uh, this lesson with the purpose for which God created the world and just really thinking through practically uh, like what that actually means for us for day to day. So first, let's think about how God is being spoken of in this passage, in this section of Scripture. Um, I think one of the really striking things about the creation of heaven and earth is how the Bible story differs so much from not only ancient accounts of creation, but modern ones as well. Uh, there were all kinds of stories circulating around the time of the Bible was written in the ancient Near East, which is just like pretty much where it was written. What we think of middle, the Middle East today, maybe Northern Africa. Uh, there was often spoken of this creation account where this is cosmic battle, where these two equally powerful gods are duking it out. Um, one famous story has this warrior god fighting this dragon who's chaos and death. And they're just these equally powerful creatures that are just duking it out. And eventually, the warrior kills the dragon. And he slays the dragon. And out of the guts of the dragon, the whole universe is created. It's a pretty fun story. Um, and this victorious god you know, conquers his enemy. And the world is created out of this strife. Um, if you think about today we have very similar concepts of when we think about the yin and the yang, where we have these two equal forces of power just kind of like balancing each other out with karma. And as long as we're constantly like in that system, there's just this constant strife between those two things. Um, Or if we think of like the idea of evolution, uh, the whole idea of survival of the fittest, that, that everything is just, that exists... A, because it's just been this onslaught of 
small creatures just battling it out and duking it out, trying to survive. And only the strongest really survive in this world. But that's what we don't, we don't see that in Genesis 1. It doesn't start off with this cosmic battle between good and evil. We just read, in the beginning, God. So rather than this conflict and violence being at the heart of the universe, we see a story of creation with this cosmic creator. Um, no one existed before him. He's second to none. And he creates everything out of nothing. Now this is a really important fact, that God created everything out of nothing. Um, what does he, how does he create? If you look at back at the passages, what is the thing that he does that actually sparks the creation into existence? He spoke it. Right, he spoke it into existence. Um, God didn't have all this pre-existing material and stuff, like a dragon body laying around, by which he creates the world. No, he's so powerful, he's the sovereign architect that he actually provides the lumber himself. He, like, he provides the very tools by, just by speaking it into existence. Um, so God of the Bible is sovereign. He has no rivals. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, he says that he's the king of the ages. He's immortal. He's invisible. And he's the only God. So the creation account reveals that God is all-powerful, but... He doesn't use that power for violence. He doesn't use that power to tear things apart. But he actually just creates this amazing garden. He creates this amazing cosmic world that's just filling with life. And everything is just ushering forth life from his very words. And it does it by his speech because he's all-powerful. He only needs to speak and the very substance of the world is created. Um... So according to the Bible, God is this sovereign, sovereign architect. As we said, he provides his own lumber simply by speaking it into existence. Another way to think about it is that uh, some of the early church Christians would talk about it as being this song that God is weaving together all these different themes of creation where all these animals are coming forth and providing their own beauty and delight in the world. And same thing with the sun, moon, and stars. And then finally with man and creation. It's this big cosmic dance and procession that everyone is a part of. And it's created for life and light and joy and purpose. And God is doing that intentionally. You know, since He's good, what do we hear constantly throughout this whole entire chapter? How does He end each section? What does he say at the end of every section after he creates something? He said he saw it and he said that it was good. God sees everything that he creates out of nothing and he's delighted in it. He created us so that we could make much of God. And he's creating this whole dramatic kind of theater so that we can be a part of that story. And God saw everything that he made and he beheld and he saw that it was very good. And there was evening and morning in the sixth day. So the two things I want to close with to take away for today um, are first that you know God creates everything intentionally and with purpose. There's nothing that's an accident. 
no one's an accident. And he creates us for this purpose of love and joy and delight. And the second thing that we need to remember is that we were made for peace. You know, instead of cosmic violence and strife being the heart of reality, God is saying it's peace and it's goodness and it's his love. Um, that he existed from all eternity in love and he wants us to be a part of that and enjoy that with him forever. Um, so those are the two things that I want to take away as we kind of finish this beginning section of creation. And we'll kind of go into next week, we'll go into looking at how we are created as these servant kings, a part of this big drama made in his image, and how the whole world is his garden that was setting like the stage. But let's close with a word of prayer. Thanks so much for coming, everyone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are constantly so battered down by all the stories that we hear that really grab our hearts and our attentions, that we constantly just forget your kindness and goodness to us, that it's to a thousand generations, and you're, just, you're there before we even ask, and you offer forgiveness before we ask. And the whole purpose of your creation was so that we could really delight in you and, and, and be a part of that love that you've had for eternity. We pray that um, you'd prepare our hearts now for worship and you'd strengthen us through the service and, and be with Rob and the, all those who are leading us in worship, uh, that they would extol your, your riches and your mercy to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.